Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. Today's show is going to be really interesting and I'm really looking forward to it, so stay tuned. Many families run out of wealth by the third generation. Lottery winners are victims of what is known as sudden wealth syndrome. 70% of those who get money in a lottery winning lose it all or go bankrupt probably within a few years. Families, multi-generational wealth is a crisis. 90% lose their wealth by the third generation. There's lots of studies to support this work and it comes, it seems from a lack of education around values and communication of values from one generation to the next in the family. Financial literacy is an issue. They don't get the necessary education. So what is next generation financial literacy all about? My guest today is Mike Alves. He's a wealth manager with a certified financial planner designation and a master's degree in advanced financial planning, which is less common among wealth managers. His focus is helping families align their values with their wealth to live a more purposeful life. He's the managing director and founder of Vita Private Wealth, where they offer financial life planning and also offers next generation financial education program. And he is near me in Southern California, based, I think, in Pasadena. So, Mike, welcome to the show today. Thank you, John. Appreciate the intro and thank you for the invitation to be here. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this because I know on this show, uh, unlike any other show, I'm going to divulge things about myself that I've never talked about uh, on a podcast before. And I I do make some references to it in my book, Disruptive Successor, but I think this is going to be groundbreaking for me. And I'm so excited to have you on the show because you're really doing something in a space that is really badly needed. And so I'm going to let guests um, I'm sorry, I'm going to let our listeners wait before they hear what that is. Let's start with a little bit of background about who you are, why you do what you do. You obviously seem to have a calling. It came at a young age. Tell us about your story. 
I'll try to do it quickly because again, it goes back to essentially being from a family of immigrants. My parents, my, my dad comes from a family of 14 siblings, very poor. I actually found out not too long ago that he was semi-slave. Essentially, his family lent him to another family for 50 cents a year for a couple of years. I went to the seminary. My, my family is very Catholic, very religious. And at age 14, I, I'm, I was very lucky that I knew exactly what I wanted to do. It's funny that it took me that to get to where I am. But it was that calling. Yes, I was in, in a school for priesthood, but it was there that I found out my love for finance and business. And then I watched that movie, Wall Street, and I wanted to be a gecko. And so I wanted to be Bud Fox, right? So I wanted to be the good guy and do good by other people when it comes to finance and business. So that's where my journey started. I did go to, so even though I immigrated to the U.S., I went to Portugal when I was little and I graduated from high school and I came back to the U.S. for college because of that. I had in my mind, I needed to get to come back to the U.S. to put my plan in place and come to college. And that's what I did. I essentially, as soon as I graduated from college, I started working for Morgan Stanley. I realized that it wasn't exactly what I thought it was. So it was a shock to me. I almost wanted to actually leave the industry because it was not what I had in mind. But then things changed around. I found out about Certified Financial Planner. I was recruited by Merrill and things started to change. And then, of course, long story short, now, of course, I have my master's and I have my own firm. But again, always trying to do what's best for the client, always having the client's best interest is the reason why I'm now a registered investment advisor. I have my own firm, Vita Private Wealth, because as a fiduciary, I must do what's right for the client and, and must have a client's best interest. So... Long story short, again, it was to help others. Is to, my mission is to help these wealthy families align their values with their with their wealth in order to have a more meaningful and purposeful life. So put the money to good use. That's great. I'm on your website right now, and you have this next gen financial education program, and I want to talk a little bit about what it is. But first, we're going to talk about why it exists. And this show is for next generation leaders, right? Disruptive successors are typically millennials. They're next generation leaders, typically in family businesses. That's why the term successor. And they could be a next gen in any size business. It could be a company that was only doing a million dollars where the mother or father was a technician. For instance, I called landscapers or plumbers or painters or contractors, technician entrepreneurs, if they've only built a business to a million dollars or so, and it's just supporting their firm. But this, it could be a company of a hundred million dollars where, and it, it could be a third or a fourth generation person. Most of my clients are second gen people, but I think the key thing here, and I'm look as I look at your website, only 24% of millennials demonstrate basic financial literacy according to the National Endowment for Financial Education. And so I know you've created this program. Tell us a little bit about why this program is important and matters, and then let's get into the what is it all about? What do you teach? This is actually one of the reasons, and I really enjoy what you, you do, John, by the way. Disruptive Successor is definitely something that is aligned with, with what we do as well. But So this program was built and the firm was built when I realized that we had an issue. I had some experience with wealthy families when I was at Merrill, and I noticed clients would ask me, they would approach me and ask me, can you help my kids? Because I, I, they just have no clue, and I don't want them to be entitled trust fund babies. 
And so that's where it started. But I never had an official title or curriculum or program, whatever you want to call it. It was just me talking to the kids in person. This was before pandemic. And then I started my own firm right before the pandemic. Perfect timing. Uh, but of course. When I created, yeah, when I created my board, Vita Advisory Board, comprised mainly of clients, board members are mainly clients. They mentioned to me, why don't you offer this to non-clients as well? And why don't you make it official? Why don't you actually have put something like a curriculum? Because everything was done through me, essentially, just verbally with the kids. And so when I started using Zoom, it opened the doors to, I, I can do this with anyone anywhere, essentially. So that's where it started. And we had time during the pandemic, we started creating this curriculum. I hired, of course, teachers and, and, and I actually have someone part-time now that actually is giving these classes. So I don't do all the classes anymore like I used to, but we have about 40, 40 classes. But again, going back to your point, why? It's to really help that next-gen generation. So our program is from age five to 35, five age brackets, because it has to be, class have to be age-based. You can't speak to a 10-year-old the same way you speak with a 20-year-old. But you mentioned some really good statistics, and this is the reason why. We yeah. don't want to have this issue of 90% of wealthy families lose their wealth by third generation. And the wealth, sudden wealth syndrome, where 70% of individuals who win the lottery or athletes that get these big contracts, they go from earning almost nothing to million-dollar contracts. And, and uh, statistics show that 70% of them go bankrupt within a few years, as you mentioned. So to avoid this, we need to get there earlier by teaching them the basics, compound interest, how to manage credit cards, how to open a bank account, teaching how to be a trustee. And I think this is a little bit to your background and your story as well. When you're a teenager or early or in your early 20s in college and you start receiving trust funds, but you have no clue what to do with it. And you have all these friends who want to invest in these businesses, cannabis or crypto, or and, and so you don't know what to do. You don't want to be in that situation. This is why we started this program is to help those. And also the family meetings, which is a, a different story. I can go yep. into that too, but the yeah, next-gen yeah. program. It's, no, it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking at the curriculum. So just for listeners who can't, and actually I'm going to share my screen in case listeners are watching on YouTube they'll be able to see this next-gen financial education program and the breakdown of the ages, 5 to 10, 10 to 14, 14 to 18, 18 to 21, and 21 to 35. And so you can look at this curriculum and you can see, of course, I should remove the fact that I've got my IRS payment due from that part of the screen. <laughs> there, It's very skills-based and very practical. And so I'm going to stop the share. So I think that for some reason or some way, I don't know, but I got a lot of these skills growing up. I, how I got them, I don't know. I had summer jobs. I had, I learned about opening a bank account. I learned about a little bit about investment management my situation was a bit unique, maybe, but maybe not that unique. My father died when I was two. He was in the family business, which he was the third generation in a very large private label men's suit manufacturing business with as many as 2,000 employees. That's how large a company it was. And probably maybe $30 million in revenue at, in the 1960s which wow. would have made it maybe 10 times that size today. 
my dad died of a heart attack and I was born 13 days after his first heart attack. And I was two when he died of his next heart attack. My mom remarried a few years later and I inherited a stepsister who I'm close to this day. And unfortunately, three and a half years later, he died also of Hodgkin's disease. So here I am nine. My mother's been widowed twice or eight rather. She gets married a year later, seven years later, divorces him. He was a very smart man who was gone from my life at that point when I was 16. And so it was a series of different fathers and a grandfather who made a lot of money and left trust funds for all of his grandchildren. And by the time I was 20, I had moved to California. I was actually probably being supported by my family, but I was also collecting my father's social security checks, which was pretty interesting to get some extra money now and then. I was I had always had some side hustles, side gigs, making money, but I didn't come from having to work in the family business. I didn't have to spend my summers following around dad. I actually spent my summers going to tennis camp and summer camp, and we wintered as well, going on ski trips. And I was really fortunate. I got to go to Aspen and Switzerland. These are the things that an upper middle-class privileged child gets to experience. And I was always appreciative and always grateful for those things. Being 20, 21 years old and having access to inheriting money can be a very dangerous thing. Um, I had no parent at that point. I had no real father influence. My mother, I'm sorry, was a parent, but she was in New York and she didn't know much about money. And I thought, I'm all this. I'm smart. I'm going to take over the management of my money. And that's what I intended to do. And I I inherited what seemed like a pretty tidy sum of money at that time, probably was enough that I thought I could live the rest of my life. But it really, to someone who was 30, probably would say, yeah, that's not that much money, John. Don't like, don't lose yourself in this. But, you know, I did what I wanted. I followed my dreams of in my twenties and I did a lot of do-gooder work, working for nonprofit organizations and causes and making some money on some jobs, but never really living off of just what I made. And I think some of the problems with, with that is that it can kill the drive uh, of an individual. And I, I look at all of my cousins that all inherited money, and I don't think there was an entrepreneur among any of them. One became a school teacher, one became a drug addict, one 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 had a was a white collar criminal. Others became artists and therapists and professors. And one moved to the Caribbean. One worked in legal services. Most of us led productive lives. Some of us, unfortunately, didn't survive. One died of an overdose. I always led a very productive life, but it wasn't until I ran out of all that money that I had to really face reality and make a living. And I think these are the values that need to be taught from one generation to the next. And so sorry for my long-winded share here, but I think that it's the values 
that are so important, as well as the skills and teaching financial literacy skills at a young age is where it starts. But you also start with teaching those values. So that's what I have to say. I agree with you 100%. The combination of those two are very powerful. I, I heard the other day uh, a gentleman who, a young gentleman, about 40 years old, who retired essentially because he was a very successful employee at Tesla. And obviously with the run-up and, and value of the company, he was able to essentially retire and, and has, I believe he said, over $20 million net worth. And I, I don't see that as a lot of money if you're 40 years old, but it, it, nowadays it's, it's, it's substantial. But my point is like, this is the type of person, to your point, you're young and now you have all this money. What do you do? And he was complaining of the exactly the same thing as what do I do? What's the purpose? I'm afraid I'm going to be bored because I'm doing everything that I want to do, but it's okay. What, what else is there besides, you know, traveling and having fun and enjoying life. So I can give you several examples of how we helped our clients with our financial life planning and our next gen financial education program. But just a couple to give you an idea, like helping someone set up a, a, a family foundation because that is part of their values. Mm -hmm. that, that's one. We helped the CEO actually retire at age 54 and leave pretty much a job that was giving him a close to $2 million a year. And he already had a substantial net worth, but going from that to 300,000 as a consultant, 300,000 a year, sorry, as a consultant, because that's what he wanted. That was his why, that was his purpose. Mm -hmm. Of course, we crunch the numbers because that's what we do as wealth managers. We still do, we have to, obviously, as a financial planner, I still have to run all the numbers. And so once he saw that financially he could do it, he did it. Not only did he do it, now he's actually doing more. He's doing better financially than what he was before. So just to, going back to your point, when you follow that drive, that passion that you have, your why, money will come along. Maybe not immediately, but it will eventually come. And this is why I teach our students, our clients' kids. Just do what you enjoy, do what you follow your passion, follow your why. And yes, we don't do all of it. We have a lot of people like, your, like yourself. We work with people like you, coaches, consultants, therapists, bankers, realtors, attorneys, CPAs, to ensure that the family has all the resources that they need to accomplish this, to live a successful and purposeful life. Yeah, I think it's really important uh, to find your why is obviously a hugely important thing. I, you've been participating in the strategic coach program for a number of years. Dan Sullivan is absolutely notable with financial planners, wealth managers. I think that's where he got his start, finance and insurance folks. And I I think following the things that you love to do is, is, is so important. Like I was just listening to a book last week called The EOS Life by Gino Wickman. And he talks about what is living a, a great life look like. And he talks about five things, which is doing what you love with the people you love, making a huge difference, being compensated appropriately, and with the time for other passions. And I think that it's super important that we do what we love. I've always followed the doing what I love path. And I've always thought of my career and my work as like a, a labor of love, a passion. And it's always earned me a, a decent living. It's never been a huge home run. It's never been a business that I've tried or successfully scaled with multiple employees. Um, it's for me, I've been a lifestyle entrepreneur most of my life, 
choosing where I want to live, doing what I want to do with the people I want to do it. It's been great. I love the clients I work with. And if everyone could have that kind of a life and could have that kind of experience at a job, that would just be amazing. And also if people focused on how important it is to give back, I do have a donor advised fund. So it's a small philanthropic fund. I in, I inherited it. I give to causes and my clients causes every year that I think, I think that's really important. And it not only makes me feel good, it helps my clients feel good. I, I tie it to their coaching fees that they pay me and donate it to an organization of their choosing in their name. And I think part of that thing, Mike, is that I'm teaching stewardship and helping them think about legacy and also helping them look at the nonprofit world and how it could connect to their for-profit world, that the brand, their brand and another brand could connect because they're they just they help support the brand. And I, I think people who are thinking bigger like that do better. So it's a great story of your client. I'm glad you brought up charitable giving and philanthropy because that is big, obviously, and our clients are our family. So one of our courses is actually on that, speaking of, of sharing and charitable giving. And again, different ages, we speak in different terms. Obviously, we have different courses for different ages, but we urge our families, our clients to match the gifting, tell the kids because they give, they normally receive funds from families, family members on their birthdays or holidays. And so what do they do with that money? They can invest it, but they can also give it away. So we urge the parents to actually match that and also match savings, saving invest. So if the kids, instead of spending all the money, they invest a portion of it or save a portion of it, they will match it. Just like the 401k, if you're an employer. So to your point, stewardship, it's teaching them stewardship, it's teaching them about saving, it's teaching about uh, sharing philanthropy, which for a lot of them is values. If it's not values, then of course, we don't even need to, to do that. But we also, like your firm, we have a gift matching during Thanksgiving. We do it every year for our clients and we match up to a certain amount. So any amount that they give to their charities, we will we will match it. We will just write a check and or, or send payments to the uh, charity of, of their choosing. Uh, and I think that goes to, again, because it's part of our values. That's why we do it, like you do, because it's part of your values. Not everyone has to do it. If it's not part of your values, then do something else. That's fine. Not saying that I'm better or, or than anyone else. It's just what we do. It's part of our values. It's yeah. helping us. Yeah. So let's talk about if you can maybe think of a, a client or two that's in a family business, ideally, and maybe they're a millennial, maybe ages 25 to 35, maybe up to 40, and they're in a position to take over the family business. There's a lot of challenges that go here, and money is certainly amongst those challenges, is the parent deciding whether or not to gift them the business, whether or not they the child they want the child to buy in and or, or earn in to the business, do some kind of a, a buyout. There's also sorts of different thinkings that parents and children might have around this subject. And this can be the source of a lot of conflict in a family, right? Because parents who maybe were the first generation entrepreneur worked really hard to build the business and thinks that the next generation seems a little bit lazier, more entitled. So there's a rub. And I think that my 
thoughts around this is that a lot of this requires facilitated communication or dialogue between the two generations. So I'm just wondering if you have some thoughts about this particular topic, the the rub that maybe goes on between the generations, how someone in your position might help that kind of a person, whether it's the senior or the junior. Great point. And so earlier I was, I started to talk about family meetings and I stopped because I, I wanted to wait because that's a whole different topic that we help with, obviously. And I think it's very important. Dennis Jeffy, I think him, he wrote about these family meetings and how important it is to communicate your values, which one of the reasons why we have the Rockefellers going on, what, eighth generation now, but then you have other wealthy families who, as we were talking earlier, by the third generation, they're gone. And so he says in his research is it's all about communication of those values and education of, of, of the next generations that come. So we are act as a facilitator, one of the facilitators in these family meetings. And family meetings could last uh, a few hours. I, I don't think we ever had a, a family meeting less than three hours, but they could last a whole weekend. Okay, I have not been, but I heard there's family meetings that will last a whole week. A friend of mine actually goes to Italy, one of his clients, because he gathers all his advisors all over the globe in Italy at his vacation home with the family. So you'll have different generations in this meeting. And of course, it's like different sessions and you'll have bankers and CPAs, whoever needs to be in those meetings. But we bring in the next gen classes into those to talk to the next generations. But to your point. I don't want to deviate from that. To your question about having issues, yes, it happens. It's a family. We all have them. Obviously, it doesn't matter. The well just magnifies it, in my opinion, the issues. But every family has their issues. We have one right now where <clears throat> the founder, the dad, Gen 1, he passed away. The wife, surviving spouse, is still alive. The son, so there's two siblings, son and daughter, or, or brother and daughter. They He is running the business. She is not. However, she feels entitled to the same compensation. Obviously, we know that's not the case. Right. Right? It's a bit of a problem there. Right. Because from an ownership standpoint, yes. Ownership, equity in the business, yes. You're both children. That's what dad wanted, mom wanted. That's fine. But from a compensation standpoint, and this is where we bring individuals like, like you, John, the coaches, the consultants that can evaluate and assess, are these, right, are these people the right people? on the right seat of the bus because they may have all the great intentions in the world of running the business and take over the business, but they may not be qualified, skillful enough. So they may need to hire outside of the family and the family, this could come as a negotiation. Like you get a certain amount of compensation just because you're a family member, but you have nothing to do with, with the family business. I don't know. Do you experience the same? Like I, I see this all the time. In I family. see that. So my clients are trained either before I get there or by me, or they know that if you're working in the family business, you get paid and you get paid market rate. You could get paid market rate plus a premium, but let's keep that premium to a really, I don't know, five or 10%, maybe more if it's a lower level employee in terms of wage. But let's not get crazy here. Let's keep it market rate. If an individual is a family member and they are not in the business, they do not get compensated through the business. Now, if they're a shareholder, because there's four siblings and two of them work in the business or three of them work in the business and one doesn't, then maybe they get 
they contribute, they participate in any distributions or dividends, just like any children would. Um, but we look at compensation to be market rate. We look at dividends to be based on ownership. And I have clients who believe that the ownership should stay with the founders all the way on, until the death and owners who, to the other end of the spectrum, gift it over time. Maybe some of it is a combination of gifting and buying in. Um, it's always what's key is to make sure that both generations feel like they're being taken care of, that their needs and their wants, and I don't just mean financial needs and wants, but also emotionally, they feel like they're being looked after and cared for. Absolutely. I, like, I don't need to explain that this country does a pretty bad job of taking care of our elders, maybe certain cultures, maybe the new immigrant cultures or more recent immigrant cultures are better at taking care of their parents as they age and they age in place in, in, in maybe their child's home. But blame it on the car or the airplane or just people's sense of freedom. We don't do a good job with it. And I think that it's so important that in a transition that people need to feel like it's fair, it's reasonable, and it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. And and as a family business is more complicated than a normal non-family business because you have these issues with the relationships between the the in-laws too. Should we include the spouses and why shouldn't we include? Some little people will get upset. And at what age should we tell the kids about how the wealth that we have and the net worth? Like all these questions. So again, that's why you need a village essentially to yeah. help this family. And that's why we bring in all the resources we can into these family meetings. But to me, they're so important. And to me, it's crucial to successful of multi-generational wealth to have these family meetings at least once a year. Some family, some families like to have more often, but I would say at least once a year because yes, I get it. It's difficult together, everyone in one place, but nowadays with technology, with Zoom and, and other video conferencing capabilities, we can, they can be anywhere in the world, anytime and join. And, and we can even schedule different meetings. But I think it is important, again, to, to pass down and transfer those values and communicate from the founders from Gen 1 to Gen 2 and Gen 3 and 4 even, this is what mom and dad want. Now we're actually doing something else, which is recording them and having messages. Because as you mentioned, in your case, unfortunately, your dad passed away when you were two years old. He was not able to leave a message. But nowadays with technology, they can leave a message and say, hey, if you're hearing this, is because I'm gone. This is what I expect from you. These are my values. I hope that whatever you want to say, you become a great citizen of this world. I value education, family, health, whatever. And I hope that you continue our legacy. Something, it doesn't yeah. have to be long. No, I, I think, think it's so important. I think it's great. I think most people would need to be coached on how to put together their speech, what to say, because a lot of boomers, baby boomers, people older than us would not know what to say in terms of their values because they never spent time really thinking about their values. Now, I know you've probably done a ton of work in that just in the strategic coach program alone is it's an important part of that work is figuring out your values. And anyone who's worked with me knows how important values are to a company, but values to a family are going to be different. 
And so developing family values that are articulated and communicated and repeat with repetition at the family meetings are going to be so important. So I know I look forward to participating in some of these family meetings, but Mike, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And what I realize as I'm talking to you is while I'm mostly a scale-up coach, a growth coach who is helping people get through early stages, not early stages of a company in terms of a startup, but get them from 1 million to 5 million, 5 million to 10, 10 to 20 or 30. Like these are where most companies live. Most companies aren't 10, 20, 30 million and above. And so I offer a scale-up program for those types of clients. And you are offering a scale-up educational program through your next-gen educational, uh, financial education. And I think that's great. Yeah, we try to ensure the multi-generational wealth. Our clients are wealthy already. So you help them get to that point where now they have this business that is worth you know several million dollars. And now what, what do you do? And so we, we come in where, okay, what? and to your point earlier, our financial life planning uh, process includes in covering your values. So every client that comes to us, whether they know already or not, they will find their values through the process of our financial life planning. And then the next gen, of course, is to ensure that their kids also know what their values are. And we will, it's a different process. It's not the same as we do it with adults, but we also do the same uncovering your why, we call it for the kids. Um, and, and that way, once you know your purpose, what drives you, it changes everything. And we connect it to that. And I could give you, again, more examples, but we'll have to do this another time. Save that for how we help. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly. great. That's great. Okay, Mike Alves, Vita Private Wealth, based in Pasadena. Do I have that that's right? right? That's right. And we've talked a whole lot about next-gen financial education, but I just want to let the listeners know that you also do the financial life planning, the wealth management, and you have services for multifamily offices. So great to have you on the show. I look forward to having you on the show again in the future. And folks, hopefully this has been helpful to you. And if you have young kids, now's the time to think about how to educate them to scale them up with the tools, the values, and the things that you would that would make you feel proud. No one wants or feels proud of a child who's overly entitled. And if you're successful in your business and you've already achieved a certain amount of wealth, entitlement is a risky and dangerous proposition that you want to avoid at all costs. Talk to Mike, reach out to me. And folks, if you got some value out of this show, do it like I always say, give us a good rating on your podcast listening app of choice and tell others about our show. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Disruptive Successor Show. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session.
Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.